Hello, Door Creek Church. Welcome to today's service. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, wow. This is a great series that we have entered into. Reset. Yes, just reset. Reset means to set different. Um, not only just starting over, uh, but to set differently or correctly. And so we're going to be looking at God's position on the reset and how God positions Israel for a reset. And then how we can have that revelation today to relate to our lives today, how God will take us through resets and how we position ourselves. Have you ever heard, you, you know the, the old command, on your mark, get set, go? Yeah, in any kind of race you'll hear that. Well, my sermon title is, On Your Mark, Reset, Go. And so that command of on your mark, get set, go means really position yourselves. Get in the correct position for the start of the race. Our lives, our journey in Christ is a race. We know the, the word says the race is not given to the one, to the, the strong, but the one that endures to the end. So we are, we're in a race. And so we have to get on our mark. We have to reset or get set. And we have to go position yourselves for your journey, position yourself for the race. And so we're going to go through how God positioned Israel, what God did and how God moved through Israel for their reset. Now, several years ago, several years ago, I was president of an organization called the African-American Council of Churches. I was a pastor of a small church, Faith Community Baptist Church, and I was a gospel radio host of Let's Go to Church. And a few years ago, those things started disappearing from my life. I stepped away from them. The doors closed on them. And I felt like I was, it wasn't a midlife crisis. <laughs> I, I wasn't going through that. But I felt as though God was doing something different in me. He was resetting me, resetting me, not meaning that everything I did before didn't matter, but he was positioning me for something new. He was resetting me. And though many times we don't like the reset, we don't like how it feels to reset. We feel like we lose something in the reset. But trust me, when God takes you through a reset, it's for your good and it's going to benefit you greatly. Now, think about, think about your computer when it's time for an update and you push update and it, it uploads or downloads the up, up, update and then it gives you a message that says, please shut your computer off or reboot your computer. Why reboot or reset your computer? So that it is able to pick up whatever that has been downloaded into your system. It can pick it up by rebooting or resetting. And so sometimes... That's, or I should say, this is what we have to realize all the time when God is resetting us, is that God is depositing something in us that we have to pick up. We won't pick it up in our current situation, but we will pick it up after the reset. Amen. And so I, just, just before here, as I was using my stopwatch and I stopped it and then it gave me two options. It said start, or restart or reset. And when I want to start over to go back to zero, I push reset. 
If I want to restart, that means it picks up to where I stopped it. God is not asking you when he's going through a reset with you to pick up where you left off. He's saying, I want to take you. I want to do something new. I want to do something different. I want to do something correctly in you. So a reset. And that's what we're going through to set differently so that we can position ourselves for our race. So I want you to think about two questions as we go through uh, this sermon today is how will you respond to a reset? How will you trust God in your reset? When those things disappeared from my life, when I was no longer the president or the co or the gospel host or the uh, the um, pastor of these um, entities, I didn't know what I was going to do. How will I respond? How did I respond to the reset? Well, this is how I responded. I didn't like it. I said, well, Lord, you know better than I do. I don't know what you're doing here, God, but it's all in your hands. I've served you long enough to know, and I've heard many people say and testify of it, that you are a God that's in control and that you never make a mistake. So I'm leaning on that. So that's how I responded. How will you respond to a reset? And the second question, how will you trust God in your reset? Well, to me, how did I trust God in the reset? I trusted him by not trying to take the situation over, not trying to figure it out, but laying it all at his feet and saying, God, you are in control. You can open doors that no man can shut and you will shut doors that no man can open. So it's in your hands. I trust in you. And God opened up the door. So here I am today at Door Creek Church. A reset. A reset will take you to places that you thought you would never be. But hello and surprise, you're there because you're trusting God with the reset. He wants to download something in you that you need, that you need. Maybe you didn't get before, but you need it. So don't kick against the reset. Trust God in the reset. All right. So let's let's look at our scripture. We're going to be studying Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, traditionally, we know in the Jewish uh, tradition, the Jewish Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah were one book by one author, but more in the modern era, we see that Ezra and Nehemiah were two separate books. So our sermon goal today, okay, our, our title is On Your Mark, Reset, Go. Ezra 3 and 6. Our sermon goal is to realize that all God needs is a remnant to reset his righteous order in his people and in the world. So it's not just about in his people, but it's also in the world. Now, we will see how God will use his people and we will see how God will use the world to get his righteous order done. We will see that through King Cyrus and Darius, secular kings that God used to accomplish his righteous order for his remnant, his people. Amen. Praise God. So our first section here, we're going to be looking at rebuilding the altar. Now understand Ezra and Nehemiah, those books in, in, in our Bible come before we just did the watchdogs, the minor prophets, which talked about, it took us through the return and the rebuilding of, of the, the temple and all of that. Um, it, it took us through that. So Ezra and Nehemiah, which comes before setting the foundation of it. And Ezra and Nehemiah focuses on three individuals, really, um, sort of as leaders. Zerubbabel, who led the, the move and the group to rebuild the uh, temple, 
And then there's Ezra who taught the, the Torah, which is the five books of the Bible, like the Pentateuch, the first five books. He taught the Torah and he built the community. He was rebuilding the community. And then Nehemiah, which you will hear later, I won't get into that when we talk about rebuilding the walls. So rebuilding the altar. Now the altar, I want you to get this. Think about this. The altar is God's table. Okay. We have communion, the altar. We bring the sacrifice. Okay. This is God's table. So rebuilding the altar, Ezra chapter three. <clears throat> when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Zetel, Shetel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance to what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Now, this is it. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. And they also celebrated the festival of tabernacles, which is commemorating the 40 years in the wilderness, the new moon sacrifice, which is done at the beginning of the month. So here it is, the rebuilding of the altar. Now, you got to kind of look and see what God is doing. God is, as God does so greatly, he builds from the inside out. Yeah. Think about our spirits. God's not, God doesn't look at the outward. God looks at the inward. So God builds at the inward. He wants his holiness to begin on the inside that it may reflect on the outside. And so the altar, God's table, is being built first. It's being rebuilt first. Even before the foundation of the temple had been laid, the, temp, the altar is being rebuilt. Why? So they can bring the sacrifices, the burnt offering, which is done twice daily in the morning and in the evening. They can bring the sacrifices. They can celebrate the festival of tabernacles. See, this tells us today that you can't wait for the physical building to be there. You have to continue on. You can't delay your commitment, your service, your honor to God. You have to continue that all the time. That when the, ch when the church buildings were closed for the pandemic, we didn't stop our service. We didn't stop our sacrifices to God. We didn't stop our commitment to God. So Israel, the priests, they are still bringing sacrifices, even though the temple's not built, the walls are not built, but we build the altar because it's God's table. Your heart should always be available, God's table, for sacrifice. And what is that sacrifice? Well, Romans 12, Paul reminds us of that in Romans 12. He, he comes back and says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your bodies, that means offer yourself, your will, your agenda to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. Here is my worship, all of my worship. Receive my worship, all of my worship. This is our proper worship, that we present our bodies a living, not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice at the table of God. The altar for them, for the children of Israel, it was a physical altar. For us, it's our bodies, our heart, the table of God. 
So they're rebuilding the temple, the altar, before the foundations of the temple were laid. According to verse 6, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Amen. So the sacrifice must go on. There could be no delay in the sacrifice. Keep it going. If the church doors close, if the church burned down, God forbid, if anything happens to the physical building, your service to God must still go on. All right. So the second portion is rebuilding the temple. All right. So starting on the inside, the altar. Now rebuilding the temple, which surrounds the altar. The altar is inside the temple. Ezra chapter three. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by Sea of Lebanon. And they did this with Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, Joshua, son of Josedek, and the priests and all the Levites in Jerusalem. They appointed Levites 20 years or older to supervise the building of the, of the house of the Lord. All the brothers and all the Levites and all of them got in positions with their vestments and with their instruments. Verse 11 with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. Look at that. He is good. This is their praise. This is their shout. This is their thanksgiving to God because the temple is being rebuilt. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. Ah, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundations of the Lord house was being laid. But <laughs> listen to this. Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from a far away. So here we got this kind of two things going on. We got noise. We got shouting. Some of the shouting is joy. Some of it is sorrow. The joy shouting is because the foundation of the Lord's house is being laid. Well, the other is, yes, the foundation of the Lord's house is being laid. But compared to the former house, Solomon's house, compared to that, this is nothing. So you got competing shouts here. You got, yes, praise be to God, whose mercy endures forever to Jerusalem. Then you got, uh, this is good, but it's not as good as what we have. Why are we comparing? Why are we comparing? Anything God puts his hands to, anything God touches is good. It's better than anything you can come up with, I can come up with. But I understand the, the, the older, the elder priest who had something to compare it to, saying that you're doing good, generation, but you're not doing quite as good. God wants us to get our focus off of the physical temple or to get our focus off of the physical thing and make sure that we are focusing on what really counts and matters. Yes, to Israel, the temple was it. That was it. That's where the presence of God, that's where the altar of God, that's where the sacrifices were brought, that's where they did their business for God. Yes, the temple. But now, let's go forward to where we are today. Our bodies are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit, Paul told the church in Corinth. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in us. We are no longer our own. We are bought with the price. So the temple now is our hearts, is our soul, is our spirit, is our lives. And so anything God does in us, hallelujah, is great because God is the maker, is the creator, is the builder of our house. As he told Abraham to a house that I will build, that will not be built with hands, a house that I will show you. God's power is not in the physical, but it's in our spiritual. So, yes, the temple is being rebuilt, but let's not lose focus. Let's not lose focus of where the true temple is. It's your heart. It's your spirit. Your heart is the altar where we make the sacrifice. Our bodies, our lives are the temple of God. And this is what God wants us to realize. So shout, praise him and thank him for it because he is good and he is doing. God is doing a great work in you. Third, our third position is the opposition. Pushback or resistance. Now, as in anything, when God is in it, Satan always tries to bring his rebuttal or his his um, opposition to it. God is so great that you know, whatever God does, Satan wants to imitate, okay? Or he wants to push back or the enemy wants to push back. So here's the opposition, Ezra 4. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, the governor, and the heads of the families and said, let us help you because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of, of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria. Who brought us here? Now, the first clue in that verse to me is when they said, we seek your God. We seek your God. Well, let us help you because like you, we seek your God. Why didn't they say we seek our God or we seek the God almighty, the God of heaven? But we seek your God as though they're a stranger already to it. Let us help you. But look at Zerubbabel's response. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered. But they say, you have no part with us in building the temple of God. Ah. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, remember those two kings. Those are the secular kings that God used to bring favor and to give um, the needs, the pr provisions for Israel. So here it is. The people, the enemies, they want to discourage because they could not help. They wanted to bribe officials to work against it, to frustrate their plans. You know what I love about this? That opposition is an opportunity for you to overcome. Yeah, opposition is an opportunity for you to overcome. God will allow you to overcome because we are overcomers, right? We are overcomers. So the opposition did not stop them from doing the work. Yes, sometimes pushback will make you pause and make you think and make you recalculate but it did not stop the work of God. Though they tried to frustrate their plans, though they tried to bribe them, and though they tried to, to uh, um, discourage them, they continued on with the work of the Lord. Because the altar had been built, 
And now the temple is in the process of being built. And they have to continue the work of God even in the, in, in, in the sight of opposition. How much opposition are you facing doing the work of God? I remember um, when I was uh, uh, rebuilding, sort of resetting my career, rebuilding an organization that um, its parent company had closed down and we were kind of left out there hanging by ourselves and we had to like reset and do this all over. And the position that I took had opposition. They didn't want me to do with what I was doing. But because I felt the passion and the call of God to do it, it made me work even harder. Or I should say it made me work smarter that I began to seek God for every step that I made because I knew God was in it. And when God is in it, you're going to win it. Let me say that again. When God is in it, you are going to win it. All right. So we trusted God. I trusted him when they discouraged me, when they tried to bribe, when they tried to frustrate my plans. <laughs> that just made God work even harder. Not that God never doesn't work hard all the time. He always works hard. But sometimes that's when we see it. When we face discouragement, we see God's work better and clearer than we would. God is always working hard. So don't get me wrong on that. God never takes a break. But when we see it and embrace it, that's when we see the work of God being done better and more vigorously for us. Not that he wasn't, because he always is. All right. So the opposition is the opportunity to overcome. So then the fourth position on this is the letter to Darius, a letter from Tatiana, governor of Trans-Euphrates and Shethar, Bozenia. This is what they write. So at the time, um, the governor of Trans-Euphrates and associates went to them and asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it. Kind of like, who died and left you boss? <laughs> who died? Ever heard that saying, who died and left you boss? Well, whenever that's asking the spiritual realm, I always say Jesus died and he left us power. All right. So who gave you authority to rebuild this temple and finish it? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing the building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders. Look at that. The eyes of God were watching over the elders of the Jews and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. All right. So you can't stop from the, the, the words of um, paraphrased words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then get down on your knees and crawl. But by all means, keep moving. All right. So Israel, you might not be able to fly. You might not be able to run. Sometimes you might not be able to walk. Sometimes all you can do is crawl, but that's all right. Keep moving. So I encourage you, people of God, I encourage you who are out there who are struggling with life. You might not be able to do it like you used to do it, but keep moving. The eyes of the Lord God are upon you. Amen. So this letter <clears throat> goes to Darius. We want answers, Darius. Who gave them the authorization? Who told them that they can do this? To build this great temple of God. Who told the servants of God that it's in their spectrum to do this? 
We want to know the names. We want to know the one who gave the authorization. We want to know all of this. And then it says, now, if it pleases the king, let us search. Let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did, in fact, issue a decree to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. We're going to check your facts. We're going to do some fact checking. We're going to see if this is true. We're going to look in the archives. We're going to go to the minutes. We're going to go to the, the board minutes and see, is this true? Did he really do this? Then let the king send us his decision in this matter. Well, let's check it out, king. Let's look at the archive. And then you send us your decision in the matter. Well, why did you ask that? Because this is Darius's reply, our position six here. King Darius then issued an order and they searched in the archives stored in the treasury at Babylon. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ekbatana in the province of Media. And this was written on it. This is the memorandum from Darius. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be built as a place to present sacrifice and let its foundations be laid. It is to be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. So they're given the details of it. You know, God is in the details, right? Silver, gold, money from the treasury, let it all be paid from the royal treasury. This is God giving favor from the neighbor. This is God using the secular for his people. This is God saying that the earth is mine, the fullness thereof, uh, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, that everything belongs to me. This is God. He says, now then, Tetiana, governor of Chans, Euphrates, and Shethar, Bosania, and you other officials of the promise, stay away from there. <laughs> Glory to God. Stay away from there. He's given them direction. He's given them command. You stay away from the work of God. Satan, I rebuke you. Get behind me in the name of Jesus. Stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work of this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. Clear the way. Provide the livestock. Give them the silver. Give them the gold. Give them the free will offering. Give them everything they need. And as a matter of fact, dig down in the treasury and let it all be paid for out of the treasury. This is what he says. Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to be are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. <laughs> Glory to God. Your treasury will pay for this work. The work that you question. The work that you tried to stop, the work that you wanted to delay, the work that you wanted to frustrate, the work that you tried to bribe us to get in the way. No, you will pay for it. The trap you set for me that you did for me, you will fall into it yourself. So you, you got to let God handle the enemies. I'm not smart enough. We're not smart enough. We're not intelligent enough to try to handle God's work. This is God's work. God, if God is in it and on your side, don't worry. You're going to prosper. You're going to be victorious. You're going to overcome. You're going to overcome. Let God do his work. Look at what our almighty God is doing. Hallelujah. 
He is blessing. He is opening the door. Wheat, salt, wine, olive oil, all of these things provided. Provisions, provisions, provisions. And so now the work is being completed. The temple. Now, 20 years to, to build the temple. So the foundation is being laid. The temple is being built. So after it is the uh, completion and the rededication of the temple. So they're rededicating the temple. It says, because the decree of King Darius had, had been sent, the governor of Trans-Euphrates and all of his associates carried out with, the, with diligence. So they obeyed. They did what they were supposed to do. Really had no other choice. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah. If you go back and read those as we went through them, through the um, watchdogs, the minor prophets, the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah, a descendant of Edom. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and um, Texas, king of per kings, kings of Persia, excuse me. The temple was completed on the third day of the month, Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Now this, this, then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. So yeah, they're celebrating again. They're celebrating the house of the dedication of the house of God with joy. When you've come through something, when you've come through a tough time in life, when you've come through a tough journey and you are passionate about what you're doing and you get pushback, you get opposition, you get resistance, you get all of those things. But through all of that, you know that God is on your side. Let me tell you, that is fuel giving. That is energy giving that is power giving when you know that you know that you know that God is on your side no matter how hard and how tough I'm convinced that God is with us Israel who really didn't deserve much from their behavior right as us we don't deserve but God in his graciousness in his mercy that is everlasting he loved Israel and he was married to Israel and he wanted Israel to return, to rebuild, to repent, to reset. He wanted that remnant so that he could reestablish them as his people, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And this is what God does. This is what God does. He is great. He is awesome. He is magnificent. He is matchless. His power is endless and his love is everlasting. Let God move in your life. Let him reset you. Not restart, but reset you to upload what you to download or upload whatever way it is. So you get what you need so you can be upgraded, updated to be what God wants you to be. So the completion, the dedication, and then, of course, they could not end without having the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over. When the blood is on your doorpost, it all comes back to the blood, the blood of Jesus, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And this is for you who don't know Jesus as your Savior. He died John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, the world, 
That's you and I. That's you who don't know him, who are not followers of Jesus right now. He loved you, that he gave Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It didn't mean you won't have struggles in your life. Perish meant you would not be lost forever. You would not um, suffer eternal damnation, but you will have everlasting life. So God, the Passover, they celebrated with the Passover. They brought the sacrifices. On the 14th day uh, 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 of, of the first month, they celebrated the Passover. The priests and Levites, they purified themselves so they can be ceremonially clean. They slaughtered the Passover lamb. They got all things ready. And for seven days, they celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy, changing the attitude of the king of Syria so that he assisted them in the work of the house of God the God of Israel. Resets going on all over. Cyrus, Darius, king of Assyria, the people, Israelites, the enemies, the neighbors, Titania, Shetar, resets. He is God of the reset. He is God of the on your mark, Reset. Go. Position yourself for the reset. So God has set all things in order. Yes, he has. But as we do, humans, we messed it up. And God sent Jesus to provide the reset. So let's commit ourselves today as Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your what? Your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So, get ready. On your mark. Reset. Go. Reset your hearts. Reset your minds. Reset your lives. Reset your souls. Reset your affections. If ye then, the, then be risen with Christ, set your affections on things above. Be transformed. Yes, set your affections. So reset your affections. Reset your goals and reset your purposes. Huh? Yes, meaning position your, get yourself ready because God does the reset, right? So get yourself in a position so God can reset. If you're going through divorce, if, you're, if, if you are in divorce, you have been divorced, and you think your life is over, God, it's a reset. If, you, if your, 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 your children have moved out and you're empty nest now, it's a reset. You're retired from your job now, it's a reset. Hallelujah. A new career, it's a reset. My wife and I, we went through a financial reset. We went through some struggling times at one point in our life, but God reset us. And now we are positioned to win it. We are positioned because God is in us and God is working. He can do the same for you. He's the God of reset. And when God calls for a reset, he always provides the resources. God is the source who provides the resources. God is the source who worked through Darius and Cyrus and those governors and those neighbors to provide the resources for Israel for the reset. When God gives an assignment, I leave you with this. When God gives an assignment, he also gives you the accessories or the necessities to complete that assignment. Finally, 
God is calling for the reset by using the remnant to return to accomplish the rebuild. God, I'm going to say it again, is calling for a reset by using a remnant to return for the rebuild. Let him use you. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, the one is the true Passover lamb who gave his life to atone our sins. And you want to be saved and be a follower of Jesus. Will you pray with me today? The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Will you pray with me today? Repeat these words. Dear Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. Forgive me for all my sins. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for my sins. He rose for my life. Today, by grace, through faith, I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen. If you said yes to Jesus today, we would love to hear from you. Let us know so we can reach out to you and pray for you that God would encourage you. The Bible says that there's joy amongst the angels when one sinner repents and turns to the Lord. So God bless you. Thank you so much. And get ready. He's the God of reset. <laughs>